Bonjour. Welcome to the Dexabit Data Diaries. This is your captain speaking. You're listening to the Data Diaries. Data Diaries. So he's got the best voice? Nice. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Data Diaries. I'm Angie Judge from Dexabit. And here with us today we have David Liu, Visitor Services Solutions Manager at Auckland War Memorial Museum. Welcome, David. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And David, you're joining us from your bubble at home because we've ended up as we speak here in September 21 and yet another lockdown and this pandemic after a local Delta outbreak. That was a bit of a plot twist, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, now that we've had so many of these little lockdowns, though, the kids are kind of used to it and maybe even relieved that they don't have to get up early to go to school. Anyhow, today we're going to talk all about exhibitions and visitor experiences and other activities as part of the public program. So this is a conversation that I've been really looking forward to. Shall we start at the very beginning, David? Can you Mm -hmm. shed some light for me? What exactly is a visitor services solutions manager? Yeah, well, it's an interesting role and something I feel like I'm regularly learning more about as well. So visitor services solutions manager, very Very generally, I support everything that our visitor services team does on site. So we have about 50 people that work as visitor hosts. We have another couple of people that work as bookings and sales coordinators on the phones. And we have a a leadership team that works along with all of these people as well. And so it's my job to try to support everyone, identify opportunities for solutions and maybe new technical products, that kind of thing. Anything that might help our team deliver better customer service. But it is an interesting role. So originally I came on as the development manager, kind of the learning and development role for the team. I would do training needs analysis and instructional design and facilitate and coordinate all the training myself, kind of a one-person training team. And when I first started about two years ago, one of the first problems that I identified was that the, the team felt really disconnected from a lot of the other teams around the museum. So a lot of my work for the last couple of years has been almost like an internal relationship um, manager. So I'll go and meet the other teams and learn about what they do and how they can benefit from greater involvement with our visitor services team. Often that's you know making sure that we're able to give insight into how different things will be, maybe how the visitors will impact or, or be impacted by the decisions that are being made in exhibition spaces. You know, where people are likely to be gathering and eating and which things need to be placed higher so that children can't grab it and, and pull it down. Those, those types of insights that maybe uh, don't always come until you've got some advice from people that are out on the floor working with all the visitors. It's a really uh, cool way of working back with the rest of the museum team because I know it can otherwise sometimes be a bit of an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's definitely one of the struggles that, um, that, that happens too often. One of the things I've learned is that, you know, it's it's not uncommon for people to have maybe almost like a, a purist view or, or an intention about an exhibition. You know, you, you've got this idea that, you know, we're going to express all these concepts or, or convey all this knowledge. And in your mind as the designer of that exhibition or that space, you might think that everyone's going to naturally go, you know, to the right. And they're going to follow this path and they're going to read all these things and they're going to have this experience. And then when you add that perspective of, of learning about what visitors actually do when they come to these spaces, then we can quite quickly say, oh, no, no one's going no to read that. Everyone's going to walk over <laughs> here and they're all going to sit down and they're all going to, uh, all these kids are going to 
cluster up at this table and they're all going to line up to do this thing. And um, yeah, just with a little bit of uh, perspective, we can help to, to correct some of those maybe initial intentions and make sure that it's a good visitor experience for everybody there. I imagine that might be a line used frequently of no one's going to read that. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> interesting balance though, isn't there? Because it might be that, yeah, we'll have that perspective of, you know, that's going to get very little use or, or no one's going to read that label there. And then you might still have that, you know, that handful of people that do get a really meaningful uh, exercise out of, out of reading that one label. And then it's like, well, maybe it was worth it. My husband is one of those people. Him and I cannot visit a museum simultaneously. <laughs> Does he read everything? <laughs> oh, yes. Every single word, every <laughs> single exhibition, every single museum. I understand you've come into the role from a background in nonprofit and government. What motivated you originally coming into the museum world? Yeah, well, so my background's been... Uh, yeah, training design and kind of community development. I spent uh, several years coordinating and, and facilitating a, a youth program in New Zealand and, and Australia and Papua New Guinea. And that was kind of all about, you know, helping young people make good decisions and, and contribute to their neighborhoods. And then I spent several years in my career in Auckland has been about mental health. And it's just kind of I don't know, for whatever reason, that's been the path that I've been on. So I've worked with some mental health providers and, and support lines in particular. And that's been very interesting, very, very eye-opening. And, and I admire all the people that can do that with their careers. And yeah, quite a good experience. Very eye-opening in terms of what maybe people are dealing with in terms of their, their mental health around the country and the ways that people support them. And then I worked for Auckland Council for a bit as uh, instructional designer there with the customer services team. Um, when the opportunity came up to to work at the museum, it just felt too, it was too appealing a prospect to turn down. Yeah, I really wanted to grab the job. I mean, part of it is just that it's so cool to work inside of a museum and to be around, I guess, that environment all day. Uh, I guess for me, it wasn't so much a, a challenge switching from social enterprises and not-for-profits and coming into a museum. I mean, it all kind of felt like it aligned to me. It's all learning. It's all improvement. It's all helping the community to understand its history. And it's, and it's I guess, the, the contemporary application of that history as well. It's all, it's all quite fascinating to me. I, I also really enjoy the, the fact that because it's a museum that does not only natural science exhibition and content and history and culture, uh, and, and it means that I get to constantly learn from everyone and everything that's that's going on in the building as well. So I, mm. I really enjoy that aspect of working in the museum. And you've come into the museum in the middle of its five-year strategic plan, which is currently in the transform phase. And as part of this, I see the museum's recently completed a really stunning refurbishment of its south atrium. Is it Te Ao Marama? Te Ao Marama. Which yeah. itself has sort of reconceptualized the feeling of visiting the museum with such a huge project, including big transformation of where all the special exhibitions are hosted, and a lot of changes to retail and hospitality around that experience of that whole area, especially when a big e exhibition is on, what went into the thinking behind that? And what, what have you seen as a result? So the, the museum itself is about what uh, 100 years old now, right? So in 1929, this particular site opened up. 
and the building at the time was very much the war memorial, right? So that's the the northern entrance with the great columns and the you know European styles of architecture. And then around in the 1960s, then the southern entrance and the semicircle was kind of built there. And for at first, from my understanding, that at the time that was mainly meant to be um, offices and a staff entrance. And the the what we now know as the atrium was just kind of an open courtyard. And then over the decades after that, eventually it became you know covered up. It became a public entrance. You you would walk in that southern entrance and immediately hit a uh, information desk, and then there was a kind of a, a smaller exhibition space behind it, and then you would kind of end up on the flanks of that the that atrium and, and entry entering into the museum that way. And what we've done with the Teomarama space is it was we've really kind of indigenized that entrance experience. So now when you watch people walk in, there's there's a couple of uh, gates, uh, mahi toy, which uh, have some kaitiaki, so like um, guardians uh, kind of protecting the space there. And so you're, that's, the, that's the first thing you see as you come in through that entrance. About the same time, you'll be able to hear voices of the Manafenua, of the, the local uh, iwi, singing the songs about their arrival into Auckland. And so you're you're kind of going through steps that the kind of parallel of poverty process. You know, when when you're visiting local marae, local iwi in New Zealand, you know, th- this is the the process that you go through as you're greeted and welcomed on. Right? And then so you're once you're through the gates, you're listening to these songs, and there's a visualization of these these different tribes as they enter the Auckland Harbour as well. And you're underneath a giant kava bull, the the tanoa that we have. That has, yeah, it's it's above you. It's this massive circular uh, shape that's above you as you enter, and you see people just kind of hit with that sense of awe when they're walking in the space for the first time. And the whole kava bowl is supported by the, the the legs of the bowl are also the elevator shafts in the building, and the, they're decorated with uh, manuloa, which are it's it's this bright red pattern that's made to look both like birds. And it's also uh, reminiscent of the lashings that would be used to, you know, fix ships together, right, on, on these voyages across the Pacific. And so, what what you're getting is from all of these these different things, the symbolism of the space and the entryway and the kavabul. This is all telling the story about arrival into New Zealand, arrival into Auckland, and connections into the past of you know human voyages and expeditions across the Pacific. So it's, it's this really powerful experience that, uh, that we get to welcome visitors with as they come through that southern entrance now. And it's so beautiful as well to symbolize the role of Auckland as well in, uh, in the heart of the Pacific being, in many ways, the capital of the Pacific mm-hmm. um, and the different peoples that have arrived um, into the city. It's, uh, it's amazing to see that represented through the museum's physical building now. It's really lovely, yeah. The um, un- underneath the tanoa is the there's this projection that's going on as well. That's again telling these stories of arrival, and talking with some of the exhibitions team. And I remember when when we first opened up in December, and we were able to invite the public in to to see what had come. You know, I guess the the fruits of the labor, right? And there. So there, there's one projection on the, on the back wall um, showing boats and you know the, the, these different stories of arrival and it's kind of a seascape. 
And then on the floor underneath it is a different variety of images. So then we have things like um, stingrays swimming around and fish and boats. And what was really heartening was to see how children in particular will respond to this projection. This is simply a, a flat projection on the floor, but kids will jump on it and they're crawling around and they stand in the boat and they wait excitedly for the next projection to show up. And it's really quite lovely, very encouraging. I think there's no age barrier for that as well. I saw a <laughs> six-month-old baby having the time of its life the other day on that projection. It's adorable. Simply because it was so accessible on the floor. So I'm really curious about this one because the museum does such a spectacular job and has put so much emphasis and energy into it as well with the refurbishment. How do you incorporate te reo and te kanga, our indigenous language and cultural practices, into the visitor experience around these various exhibitions in the building itself? Wow, okay. As a museum, we promote a value that we call hekorahi Māori, which means the, the Māori dimension. And so we have uh, individuals and, and, and teams around the museum dedicated to ensuring that everything that we're doing is done with that Māori perspective as well. So in addition to our teams that focus on hekorahi Māori, um, within the museum, our museum board also has like a, a, a trustee kind of board that we call Tomata Aiwi, and they act as representatives for the the different Māori uh, tribes around Auckland. Um, so those tribes have decided on which people should be part of that board, and then that board advises the um, the museum board. And so that's that's for anything that might be to do with any indigenous history. Um, we also have people that will do supporting literature. We try to make sure that yeah, everything that we're doing is done in a considered and deliberate approach. We don't want to um, offend anyone, but more importantly than that, we need to make sure that we're representing stories correctly, that we're, you know, you know, I guess, you know, really providing that um, honoring way to tell these stories and, and to, to make sure that we're doing things accurately. With our visitor services team, one of the first, um, I guess, courses that we go through in our induction with the team is to talk about the value of manakitana. This sometimes is, is translated as, as simply um, hospitality, and, and I think that's, um, it doesn't tell the whole story. So the, the idea of manakitana is that it's the actions that are giving mana to others, right? And mana is, it, it can be translated like a honor or, or um, maybe dignity, um, maybe even uh, the respect or the, um, the status that a person has uh, is dependent on their mana. So when we talk about manakitana, we're, we're talking about the, the need to make sure that our visitor hosts are treating people in a way that gives each of those visitors this mana. And in the context of a museum, you know, that, that mana is shown by, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're welcoming these visitors into not only your home or your workplace, but you're also welcoming them into the lives and the stories of all the people that we represent in the museum. So in my understanding of Māori tikanga and, and, you know, the, the way that you would do things the right way in, in Māori culture, uh, every object or, or, artifact that we have in the building that obviously it was created by someone 
someone used it for their lifetime and someone donated it. And, and so there's, you know, for, for any particular artifact, there might be dozens of people or scores of people that interacted with this item before it got to being in the museum case and being on display. And so then Manakitanga for the visitor services team means how are we going to make sure that you know about all of these scores of people and the stories that led up to this day. And it's not necessarily that we have that whole history of it, but more about that approach and, and making sure that everyone feels that almost that sense of reverence or awe as you're, you're looking into the history of these things. And so that's why from that kind of indigenous perspective, it's so much more than just here's a tool that someone used centuries ago, or, or here's an item that we know was, uh, was a weapon, right? But it really is much more about considering the fact that this is something that was treasured. It's still close to a lot of people. The identity of my ancestors, for instance, might be attached to this item. And it's important for me to, to treat that with a reverence that's much more than just here's some things in case. So the museum's got quite a delicate balance, though, because it's free for Aucklanders, not for tourists, mm-hmm. and you've got ticketed admissions on top for special exhibitions and other sorts of experiences and events. How does your team manage that kind of dance for visitors that are coming <laughs> into that atrium space, and what sort of challenges do you see from that? Uh, yeah, well, it, it can be a little bit tricky, uh, especially when it's when it's super busy in there. Like you know, it's it's not uncommon for us to have a couple hundred school children in at a time on a weekday. You know, they're coming in to do their programs, and then that means that we're also trying to, I guess, manage that space and make sure that people can get to a ticketing desk and. Yeah, we can have that discussion about you know whether or not they need to purchase a general admission ticket and if they're also looking to do the special exhibition that day. So it, it can be a little bit tricky. One of the other things that we've found that further complicates it is that, you know, for for most Aucklanders, you know, they, they've always known that they can come to the museum for free. They don't, <laughs> because it's for free, it means they don't always remember that they do need to get a ticket still. So So we do often have conversations of, you know, We'll, we'll have staff floating around in the, in the hallways or around the atrium and we're encouraging people to come over to the ticketing desks and kind of have that check-in experience. We, we do that also because, you know, for our My Museum card holders, they can come to the ticketing desk, they can check in. We've got a little bit of data about, you know, their, their visits and um, we can provide them with information about what might have changed since the last time they visited. We do also have a membership program, which also launched at the, towards the end of last year. And what we're finding there is that the, these members will love to come back. They bring their friends and family as well. They uh, get uh, unlimited re-entry into the special exhibitions. So they're, they're often taking advantage of that. But again, they still have to meet, you know, come to the ticketing desk and have that conversation with the team. Yeah, the, the challenge will be on those days where it's really busy and you've got people that are striding towards the very, very welcoming, bright hallways. And um, yeah, sometimes we have to catch people as they're about to enter the galleries and remind them to come back to the ticketing desk. And so a lot of the time it just comes down to making sure our staff are really patient, really polite, very courteous and, and very welcoming, but also letting people understand, you know, this is the rules of admission and here's how we do our ticketing over here. Uh, it's a little bit easier in the north entrance when, when people come in and they're, you know, straight to a ticketing desk and our, our staff can, can greet them that way. And at the museum, you've got this mix of your permanent exhibitions, which have also been going through a big modernization as part of this refurbishment over the last several years. 
And then you've got a number of special exhibitions each year. How does the museum strategy come together across the two? Yeah, well, that's that's um that's been really interesting to observe, and I think we've still got some learning to go. So, the permanent galleries there that that's part of that same five year plan that you were mentioning before. There's a an ongoing plan for gallery renewal and refurbishment. The, at the on the ground floor, we've got some new galleries around the stories of Auckland. We call it Tamaki Hiringawaka. Those galleries tell stories over centuries of, of human occupation in Auckland. Yeah, right up to modern times. And, and that, was, that was partly because we realized, you know, we didn't have a lot of content on Auckland history before putting those galleries in. The special exhibitions, yeah, that, that is something that's kind of new for us. So we had uh, two special exhibitions in the new, new special exhibitions hall already. One was Brickman Awesome Epic Lego Creations, and now Sea Monsters. These exhibitions are very much you know family shows, and we're encouraging children and their and their families to to come in and have a look and and play with um, you know, the content and you know kind of be impressed by the size of the sea monsters and and blown away by how large some of these Lego creations could be. The in the, in the coming months though we have. Secrets of Stonehenge, um, which is coming from from overseas, and we have exhibition called Ancient Greeks, Athletes, Warriors, and Heroes, and that's coming from the British Museum. And I mean, between the four of those exhibitions, you can see there's there's very different topics and not necessarily the same audience, and that's quite intentional. When and we're trying to ensure that the museum special exhibitions appeal to the breadth of our potential visitors, we want anyone and everyone to feel that you know we'll, we'll have content here for you and for you and your family to come and enjoy. Yeah, and, and it's it's been quite lovely. It's It's been really interesting to watch as um, people will come in and they'll explore our local history, but then also come and you know, have fun with, uh, with the Legos or, or see how large an ichthyosaur was. Yeah. The uh, Sea Monsters exhibition, it's coming from Australia, hasn't it? That's right, yeah, the Australian Maritime Museum. It is fantastic, and I love it has these little wooden shapes that represent the different sea monsters that you can literally lie on and swim like a prehistoric monster and it's just so much fun seeing the kids adapting their bodies to these ocean going uh, giant animals it's so so gorgeous to watch yeah absolutely it's hilarious watching adults give it a go as well (laughs) i know you've taught in several of those exhibitions from overseas and it sounds like a few more on the way what sort of logistic challenges are you running into at the moment with the borders closed and, and travel restrictions and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, that's that's been quite interesting. So, I mean, I'm, obviously, you know, that with, with a lot of these traveling exhibitions, normally there's staff that travel with them as well. So that's been a logistical challenge to make sure that, you know, people can get spots and manage isolation and, and be here to help install and, and demount some of these things. The the initial schedule, so we, we were going to have that Ancient Greeks exhibition last year. That was going to be our first to open up the new space. But with with all the, I guess, pandemic rearrangements, then that the schedule changed. So the Ancient Greeks went to Australia first, and now they'll have it now for another, another year, basically, before we get it. So what, middle of next year, I think we're scheduled to have it back. So it has been challenging. It's meant that you know timelines will will move around, sometimes by a few weeks, and sometimes, like in the case of the ancient Greeks, then by a year, year and a half. And like one of the things we're worried about now is that 
all the people that we had hoped would come to see the Sea Monsters exhibition in August and September, mm. now that's all jeopardized and we don't know when we're going to be able to reopen it for people because it's supposed to close at the end of October. So mm. Coming up soon and they're all at home at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So what what are the main goals behind those exhibitions? What does pandemic aside success look like? Hmm. Well, my, my understanding is that the main goal is, is as drivers of visitation, you know, we want more people to come and, and see these different things. We want um, we want visitors from Auckland and, and New Zealand. Obviously, we don't have a lot of international tourism right now. So, but but we want our, our visitors to to know that you know we are a, a space that they can come and see these different shows. And you know, there, there's that challenge with your regular visitors that they want to know you know what's new or what's what's changed. But then if you change any permanent galleries and they ask where the old ones went. So we do want to, I guess, keep people engaged. And part of the reason that we're having this broad range of special exhibitions is to make sure that we're, we are actually addressing the, the needs of the entire museum going public. That's not just for certain individuals over others. And so much of that visitor experience is learning oriented. I'm curious about how you and your team think about that from design thinking all the way through to visitor evaluation right right well the the exhibition team i i know they'll they'll do a lot of that that kind of modeling based on the different personas of, of visitors and and the different um cultural segments you know that we're trying to address and they'll they do a lot of that kind of design thinking around you know what's going to be the best way to engage these different populations uh, from around the city the visitor services team, I know our perspective is often, you know, how, how can I make sure that this person that's visiting is going to have the best possible experience that they'll, you know, with their limited amount of time with us today, that I'm going to, you know, help them find the right exhibition for them and their family or the, or the, the group that they're with today. Yeah, I, I guess that a lot of that's for, for our visitor services team just boils down to what kind of quality of interactions are we having with people uh, whether at the ticketing desk or on the floor or throughout the museum. I know one of the, the little pleasures I have when I'm walking through the museum is to catch someone and ask, you know, have you have you gone to see the birds over there? Or, you know, you, often it's a, just a chat with the with children as I'm passing by and they'll they'll point out things that they're they're finding to be their favorites, like the, the Homanu tree that we've got installed recently, which is this this towering tree that tells a beautiful story. Um, next to our new classrooms so yeah i guess it's finding those little moments to to connect people is um is quite rewarding have you trained your team specifically on that so whether it's sort of ongoing visitor services training or particular enablement in the lead up to an exhibition about how to have those coincidental kind of water cooler moments with visitors <laughs> around the museum yeah yeah well that that's definitely something we stress um and we try to communicate. The, one of the um, challenges I'll, I'll frequently put to the team is that you know that it's really easy for a member of the public to mistake a visitor host for a security guard, right? and 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 we know that that's kind of people's conventional view of of staff that are working in a mm. gallery or a museum. And so my challenge to the team is always, well, what are you going to do to make yourself different from a security guard? So that, so that these visitors know that they can come to you with questions or they know that they can have a different kind of interaction with you. And that's not to put down the security guards of the world, many of whom are very lovely. 
But <laughs> the point I'm, I guess I'm trying to get across is that, yeah, for, for our hosts, we'd very much encourage them take that opportunity to find that um, magic moment that you can enhance that person's day or their visit. Um, and it often doesn't have to be something, you know, really extraordinary. It's, it's just taking that time and giving someone that, that little bit of personalized attention so they know that, um, that you see them and that uh, you recognize what they're going through for the day. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's part of, I mean, we, we cover that in our induction. Uh, we stress that in our, our conversations with the team. We try to model it, um, everyone around the museum. So uh, even in other departments, our, our, um, our IT manager loves to tell stories about how when he's walking through the building and he has these little engagements with people and you'll see him come into the office and he'll very proudly tell our membership uh, team that you know he's, he's been promoting their program to the public as he's been walking around. They'll have him on a retainer soon. <laughs> I love that, that the museum, it's got its mission and vision and values that we'd see in most organizations. And then it has those principles that draw upon that cultural connection to bring that spirit right into the DNA of the museum's purpose and its people. And, and you can really hear that penetrating every aspect of, of what you do. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> important and it's, and it's really cool. It's, it's, um, it's something that I, I really enjoy about the way that we that we offer it. Like one one of the um, the things that will uh, regularly come up with, with new new staff as they join the museum, and especially if they've come from different countries and maybe they don't have a background in, in Maori culture and Tikanga. You know, so that there's there's the concept of things being tapu or noa, right? So there, there's kind of a, a sacred aspect to these different things, and and uh, one of the aspects of of things, I guess, in Maori tradition is that you wouldn't have food around different things, for instance, right? So food is a very earthly thing. It's not a very spiritual thing. So you have to keep your food separate from a lot of these different artifacts. And so we have routes that have been mapped out around the building of, you know, because you know, we also have things like a cafe on site and a bistro on site, and we have private functions that need to be catered. So now we have these maps that show you, okay, I'm allowed to take food from this place to this lift and then up from that floor and then I can go exactly this path. And so we have all these little maps. And, and so, uh, yeah, it's one of those those fun little things that, um, again, particularly new staff from overseas, they, they have to come to learn what those special routes are and, and how to maneuver things through the building in a way that's still culturally respectful. It's really beautiful. I think one of the things that really struck me when you, when you go to so many history museums around the world, you have these sort of colonial European settler history galleries and then separate ones around indigenous artifacts. Mm. And, and in Auckland Museum and the new Auckland, Auckland galleries, there's, there's an exhibition around people's homes 100 years ago. And, mm. and you can see the cultures of Auckland all represented in those homes all together and they're not separate, and it's something so small and so simple, but so such a powerful message as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And and I know that the the our exhibition team very deliberately wanted to have the the gallery laid out in that way, and so that it wasn't a separation, but but really by combining everything and and by um, by not being constrained by time frames, they're able to compare those different lifestyles and and those different artifacts. Uh, yeah, simultaneously. And I, and I think that's, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's quite a beautiful comparison. 
And so, David, moving from there, how do you evaluate the visitor experience? How do you work out what an exhibition has achieved when you're doing your retrospective on it? Sure. So we we have an in-house visitor market research team, and they'll often conduct uh, different analyses for our different exhibitions. So not only would we have things like, say, um, camera counts of people entering different spaces and, and we can get information about how long they've dwelled within an exhibition. But then we'll also do the occasional interviews and surveys with different people. We ask about, you know, where did you visit today? And uh, what kind of things did you see? We have a range of different questions and and survey questions we'll go through. And and our team very diligently produces um, those types of retrospectives and reviews for us at the end of different shows. Uh, we'll have consultation again with with our team. We'll provide some perspective about what we saw, what we observed from that visitor services kind of perspective. But it'll generally be a cross section of different teams that have worked on or with different exhibition spaces, and we'll yeah we'll have those kind of reflective discussions about well, what did we learn and what do we want to do next time, what what do we need to change that kind of thing. That might even you know boil down to which interactive seemed to be the most used or which screens were getting used the least, that kind of thing. And do you do that separately in your visitor services team and then again with the wider museum group or is that just a a cross-functional effort in the first place? Uh, It's a bit of both. Because our team is so large, uh, it's not practical to to get very many of them into one of those reflection sessions at a time. So we'll probably have like a focus group or, or a debrief from our team and then we'll have some of us represent that perspective when we meet with the other teams. Very cool. Well, thank you, David, for a very fascinating look into the world of exhibitions and experience at Auckland Museum. And fingers crossed for your next post-lockdown reopening again sometime soon. Hopefully it comes well in time to get the last few visitors through that Sea Monsters exhibition. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope we're out of it sooner than later. And thank you again very much for having me. Thank you.